Armstrong and Getty. Pretty damn cool. Very fine people on both sides. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Featuring our podcast, One More Thing. Available everywhere podcasts are given away because we're stupid. If I'm even told I ought to go to a Chuck E. Cheese, I shed a tear. (laughs) Maybe I can combine these two stories about your first date where you want to be sexually attractive at a Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) Good Lord. (laughs) Too late. (laughs) Hey, you want to go to uh, get a little pizza or something? Oh, I love pizza. I know a nice place. I know. Oh, it's great, Za. That's where we'll go. You take her to a Chuck E. Cheese. She's hoping, I hope he's just so hilariously ironic. Right. That this is just part of his hilarious thing. No, no. Run, run. He he prefers Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) Nothing sexier than skee-ball. He's got the gold club membership. They welcome him right in. Steve, what's up, man? Wow, so be a regular table, Steve? You still have some tickets left over from from last time. So if you get lucky on the skee-ball, maybe you can get this here plastic doodad. Um, <laughs> nice spider ring. <laughs> right. <laughs> I went to uh when I went to the the escape room. That was part of a, a little first date thing, and the the first phase of our first date was at a, an arcade where she she got a little cocky about how good she was at arcade basketball. Mm. So we made arrangements that uh, okay, let's 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 see let's see how good you really are. Exactly. I won, oh. but not by much. Let her, oh, let her feel like she was <laughs> like in, in oh, contention. Oh boy. I see. <laughs> Yeah, don't 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 be bragging about how you're going to be good at this. No, no come on now. You think you're good at air hockey? All right. These other these other dudes have been letting you win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to show you how good you are at air hockey. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> Couple of Casanovas here. <laughs> no kidding. Take that in your face. <laughs> Demonstrating you, value. You suck at air hockey. Um. Five nothing. Anything else to say, baby? <laughs> so here's the backstory in Chuck E. Cheese that I didn't know. Did you know? Do you know the, the origin story of Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> no, no, I don't. He's an orphaned mouse who does not know his own birthday, and to make up for never having had a birthday party of his own, he hosts parties for hil- for children. That's the backstory on Chuck E. Cheese. Hilarious. According to whom? The Chuck E. Cheese people. The but there ain't the no corporation. Ta- That's my point. There ain't no talking mice that have no birthday. Just seems like an odd story to make up for a fun place. Yeah, you could have made up anything. There's an orphan who doesn't even right. know the day he was born. He's exactly. So, right. His childhood was so miserably sad. Damn. How about he's a giant mouse? You don't come here, he'll kill you in your sleep. I mean, why not that? He and the clouds live at the edge of the forest. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. right. From that note, I also learned that the, the E in Chuck E. Cheese stands for entertainment. His name is Charles oh. Entertainment Cheese. I like that. I like that. What were his parents thinking? <laughs> oh, that's right. He's an orphan. <laughs> Who has no birthday. Right. So he's very sad. Yes. But to make up for it, like some sort of Jesus rodent, he's taken on other ch- children's grief and giving them joy. I, f- I feel like he's just numbing his sadness with other parties and, and just, yeah. uh, you know, outs- right. I, I feel like he's not processing his oh, emotions my, properly. Oh, my God. He's yeah. just like Freddie Mercury in the Queen movie. Right. Cocaine and lovers mm-hmm. instead of, you know, family and friends, right? Dealing with his issues. Exactly. His abandonment issues. Exactly. 
Yeah. yeah. That's Very what I'm going to say. Next, if I walk into a Chuck E. Cheese with my kids, the big mouse walks up to me. I'm going to say, you've got abandonment issues. <laughs> That's what I'll say to him. You and need help. My kids will look at me like, what the hell are you talking about, Dad? Mom, Dad's doing his thing again. <laughs> yeah, right. So I didn't get to finish this off during the regular episode of Armstrong and Getty. Scientifically proven sources of sex appeal. We went through a couple of different things here, but I wanted to get to this. Um... In the School of Attraction Science, people in one study tend to look at the faces of people if seeking love. So if she's looking you in your eyes or he's looking you in the eyes, mm-hmm. that means he's interested in you for love in a long-term relationship. If we're just interested in sexual desire, we tend to look at the bodies. Yeah. So that that's kind of interesting. Sure. You know? What if I'm looking at my phone? What does that say? <laughs> what did you... That in the science of what? Uh, attraction, attraction science? Attraction science. But, so what if you're like in attraction science and you're kind of hot for your coworker? That's got to be so weird. Oh, no kidding. She'd like recognize or he would and analyze every single thing. I oh, was, I see what you're doing there. I was just wondering. I know. I know what you are wondering. You're wondering, still no. you're wondering if we could go out sometime. I'm an attraction scientist. I'm a scientist. Uh, you were uh, trying to appear assertive yet non-threatening there, I right. think. Well, yeah. It didn't I, work. I guess. <laughs> In another study, people tended to check out a romantic prospect's head and chest while they focused on legs and feet of someone in the friend zone. Legs and feet? Wow. Look at the feet on her. <laughs> like head, like scalp roundness? Is that what you mean by head I examination? I don't know. <laughs> Phrenology. Like Feeling her lumps. Right. Yeah. I like a good big toe. <laughs> a good solid right. big toe. Right. Big toe. Yeah, like right. that can really dig in when life right. gets tough. And then this, which I thought was pretty good. Um, if two people can get it together to go out, they are likely to wear red or black. Especially common choices on a first date, red or black. I'd never thought about that before. No wonder. Science has proven red makes everyone seem more sexually attractive, both to themselves and others. Wow, that's... Men and women both look more sexually attractive in red. got to be some crazy primitive stuff there. No kidding. That explains my fascination with the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> he is sexy. Is that just like a bad he's, 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 you know, overweight, obviously, but he carries it well. Yeah, yeah like right. a, a Tony guy. Soprano type thing. Got, like really got that apple shape or pitcher <laughs> shape, if you prefer. He's more powerful than <laughs> right. Yeah. right, yeah. Right. Um, is that just a baboon ass? through walls. Is that a baboon ass thing? I mean, is it that primitive? Is uh, it like... And or... Uh, it's it's uh, blood flow. Mm. You're engorged yeah. with blood, oh, so things get redder. My, you look engorged tonight. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you say gorgeous? Yeah, more or less. Sure. I don't That's know that I've ever worn red uh, on a first date. I'm like, I certainly haven't on purpose. I never had like a great red. I guess I oh, did. I got a really good red shirt. Mm. I default to black stuff. That's yeah, fine yeah, too. Early on, yeah. yeah. What's our analysis of why black looks good? I don't know. Slimming? Slimming? Probably the lights are out. I don't know. Yeah, slimming. Um, and what you order matters too. Researchers have found that a woman is more likely to find a man attractive if she's eating something that's spicy rather than sweet. So you order the hot, spicy stuff. I'll order for you. What? Extra cayenne pepper on <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. Right. We're having pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, the wasabi. Yeah. <laughs> Right. How much wasabi do you have? A drink may also help, but only one in an experiment. People who had the equivalent of a glass of wine were rated more attractive than people who drank either no alcohol or more than a glass. Perhaps because they seemed more relaxed and maybe because they were attractively flushed, getting back to the whole mm. red thing. 
one glass, your face gets a little flush, and you relax. More than that, it starts to go downhill. Yeah, well, that's been my experience. Drunk is not attractive. No, but uh, more than one glass is. Uh, I've had many dates work out after right. more than one glass. So. Yeah, and what pace? drunk is not attractive? No, I think the pace matters. That could be it. Or if you're both match the, each other's pace. Maybe if you're both the same level of drunk. That has right. worked for me in the past also. Yeah, right. it's like it's like tennis. You don't want to play with somebody who's way better or way worse than you. You no. gotta you gotta be on the same level. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's funny. I've I've only as an alcoholic, especially I've only I think one instance where she was drunker than me, like markedly drunker, and that was yeah, that was just uh, Ken. I just uh, we gotta we gotta get you home to bed, and I am getting out of here. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I'm backing away. Yeah, I'm backing away from this whole situation. Um, of course, true hotness lies within. How do we get someone to discover your inner hottie if you lack come hither hips or piercing symmetrical eyes? A red shirt, a glass of wine, and some spicy food. That's their suggestion in the Atlantic. And a facial scar, I think, yeah. from earlier. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> spicy food will get you flush, too. In my case, turn all red-faced and sweaty. <laughs> all of this stuff is a good tip if, we're, you know, if you're in the range of average-ish somewhere. But if you're super hot, male or female, you don't, you don't need to pay attention to any of this stuff. Not really. Not really, no. Unless, you know, you're, oh, none of the rules count. you're playing at that high level and you're with the super hot and... Uh, Although, who can explain chemistry? What's the story, though, of where, and again, as a heterosexual male, I will use the uh, example of a uh, heterosexual female, but what's the deal with you can be walking through an airport and think, you know, that's an attractive woman, she's a pretty girl, and then you see one woman, it's like, ah, oh, wait a minute, I'm like in love all of a sudden, what the hell is that? Yeah, I can't stop thinking about this. It's not some woman who's dressed like a stripper, or has got a ridiculous body or something It's usually not that. Is it, you know, it depends who you'd ask, does that look like your first girlfriend? Does she look like, does she look like your mom? It's got to be something psychological like that, it's got to be. Or in my you case, like my mom. wet Don't my, say that. My wet nurse. Your mom. <laughs> Looks like your wet nurse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you walk up there and tell her that you look just like my wet nurse from when I was a kid. Your breasts are so reminiscent of the woman I used to breastfeed on. But that is a, an interesting thing. I mean, you, you yeah. see the super hot, scantily clad woman, and it's just, yeah, okay, another one of those. And right. Somebody really gets your attention. You know, in regular clothes. Or you're the guy or the gal who has like three X's and they all look exactly the same. Right. You know? Well, we, we know a guy, a really nice guy, but he only dates w- women with short blonde hair. Right. Exclusively. Right. Well, Marshall uh, demands a button nose, as I recall. Oh, yes. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. You know, I was thinking you were talking about how you could just be casually walking through an airport or perhaps a bus station in uh, Albany, New York, and you come across the curly, red-haired girl from New Rochelle. Remember when I had to crush on her yeah, when I, I came back? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we uh, communicated a little bit for a while, and, uh, you know, it was fun. Mm-hmm. She had the restraining order served. And... Oh, well, she's on the other <laughs> coast. No, no, no. Everybody's safe. No, but science has not figured that out yet. There's oh, yeah. no doubt about it. I had, I still remember it to this day. It was years ago. I was at an airport, and it was, and you know, I, I adore my wife. I'm faithful to her and the rest of it. But, um, she was waiting for the shuttle bus. And I was just walking by, and I looked at her, and it was like I was a beast hit by a tranquilizer dart, like on the, you know, some nature show. It's like all of a sudden this flood of hormones, and the rest of us like. What the hell is this? It was very strange. Hmm. I've never figured it out. And, you know, she kind of sort of resembled my wife. Mom, mom. 
Your mom? Your mom. <laughs> That's what's so disturbing. <laughs> My mom. Wow. <laughs> no. No. I just, it, it, there's something going on there. Oh, yeah. And science hasn't figured that out yet. Nope. That's why it's worth, Sean would probably speak to this, that's why it's worth getting out there in front of a lot of people, because you're, you're that person for somebody. Right. Or a number of people. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Every bad thing that will happen to you, or is happening to you, starts with flu-like symptoms, which we've joked about forever, because every time you get a little fluish or whatever you, you can't think you got, the worst things on earth. Right. Um, we got a couple of texts, and I, this is the question I always get. So it was five years ago today that the doctor called me when I'd been feeling bad and said that you got uh, cancer. And started a whole nine months procedure that was miserable. Um, but so people always ask me, the most common thing people ask me is, what did you feel like before? Like, I ask people that all the time who've had a heart attack, you know, or anything. Yeah. Just, yeah. I really say, what was your first sign? Because we all want a heads up for that. Um, and I, I felt terrible. I just felt terrible. I felt really terrible. <laughs> and I didn't know why. And the doctor couldn't figure out why and... But I felt like ter- I, it's like flu-like symptoms. I felt terrible. So if you have flu-like symptoms today, you either have the flu or cancer or an oncoming heart attack or AIDS or the Ebola virus. Google it. I I remember... Go on a message board. Shortly <laughs> yeah, after... That's an excellent idea. Yeah. <laughs> shortly after your diagnosis, we were playing a, a best of, and one of the segments you were talking about how... You just had, I, I got this, I feel like there's a bowling ball in my gut, and I had this oh. strange thing. I was like, well, we know what that is now. Yeah, I, that's true. I did tell one doctor that before I knew what I had. I said, I just feel like there's a lump in my stomach. He said, that's not a good thing for a doctor to hear. That's a problem if you feel like you've got a lump inside you. And I did have a lump inside me. You wouldn't think you'd be able to feel a lump inside you, but apparently you can. Wow. Feel if you've got a lump inside you. No, no, maybe no. that's it. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe yeah. that's the tip. If you feel like you've got a lump inside you, there you go. Then you'll see the lump inside. Then you've got a lump inside you. Listen to your inner. But voice. I feel like that when I eat the full burrito from Chipotle too. See, that's the problem. The oh. number of clips we have of you saying, "I feel like I'm gonna die." <laughs> I mean, hundreds of them. Yeah, it's endless. <laughs> try to try to tease out those variables. Try to see yeah. how it feels if you don't eat too many tacos. Well, what I what I always try to remember because this happens to me since too. I think I feel pretty bad. Do I feel as bad as I did that time? <laughs> Oh but, I, but I just remember that. I remember having the feeling, oh, this is what they mean by uh, uh, exhaustion. Yeah. Not right. just, you know, right. kind of tired or whatever. Just you can't even hardly move. Yeah. Or, you know, various things. It was it was is the things that you always think, <laughs> I wonder if this is it, multiplied several times. I don't know if that's of any help anymore. I don't even know if it's of help to me. Mm. You feel crappy. That's it. You feel really crappy. Someday, maybe today, we ought to do... Um we had to talk about that whole uh, joie de vivre thing, the whole the joy of living um, effect that having a dread disease can have on you. Yeah, it did on me. I still I, I do not enjoy life the same way I did before I found out I had cancer and went through the treatment. It's I, it's a completely I have a completely different feeling about the world and life. Hmm. And uh, and it's not better. How would you describe it? Huh. <laughs> um. Because you know, I'm, I'm certain level of pointlessness. My kids aside, right? If I didn't have my kids, I can't imagine how I would be. Because <laughs> that's like the only thing, right? The transience and stupidity of so many of the things we spend our time on are just right. and, that much clearer. And, and I realize, I realize that some people come out of these things 
loving life more than they've ever loved it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I was kind of hoping that would happen to me because I'd heard of that sort of thing, and you see it in movies, but that's not what happened to me. Now, I, now I've since read articles about people who go the other direction. It might not be uh, psychological. It might be um, like a chemical sort of thing right. because they've done tests with people who do mushrooms and can fix that. You do mushrooms and it gets you back to where you were before it. It like oh. fixes whatever happened to you or something. You ought to do it. But I got some sort of, uh, I, I definitely have a, everything's pointless. It's just it's just all so pointless. Wow. Just uh, where you live, what you drive, uh, where you go, what you do with your free, it's all pointless. It's just nothing is worth even paying attention to. Holden, other than my kids. Holden Caulfieldism. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I liked life much better before I got sick. Wow. I wish I could go back to m- that mindset. Have you thought about doing the mushroom yeah. thing? No, as an alcoholic, that's not an option. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I don't think they're uh, addictive, but I, what do I know? No, that doesn't. it's that. It's taking any substance right. to uh, artificially change the way you feel. You can't do that if you're an alcoholic. Although caffeine does. But I know alcoholics who don't drink caffeine. Mm. Um, but, yeah, if, if I thought, I would consider it if I thought it would work on me. Uh, definitely, I would definitely consider it. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know, everything just, I don't know, when you have a day where you're just kind of like not into life, that's what I feel like all the time, oh, ever since I got cancer. Wow. Huh. And it's a relatively common thing. They think it might be the chemotherapy as actually yeah. what does it. It's right. not the life experience of cancer or, you know, thinking you're going to die. It's not a psychological life experience. It's something the chemicals did to your brain. Wow. Yeah, well, that certainly could be. Yeah, I don't know. Dang it! I mean, I'm not coming. You know, I'd be gab- not regularly up those mushrooms. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not regularly <laughs> complaining about do it. With me? <laughs> I'll bring over Fantasia. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. I just yesterday finally watched the Dave Chappelle Netflix stand-up special. He's a comedian. Um, and uh, the, re- well, the reason I watched it yesterday was Sean brought this to my attention. So on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, they have two kind of parallel scoring systems. They have uh, kind of verified critics and then just your audience at large. Uh, the, uh, the rating for Chappelle's uh, from the, the nine official critic reviews is 33%. Ooh, that's pretty low. And it was it was seventeen percent yesterday. There's been and when it was six. So there's been three more reviews that have kind of brought it up a little bit. Uh, the audience review score of Chappelle Sticks and Stones is ninety nine percent, and that's from sixteen thousand four hundred people. So well, and I will uh, I look at these a lot. I love Rotten Tomatoes, and there will be a difference. Sometimes you know it's critically beloved. They get eighty eight percent and. And audiences, you know, it's 71%, 72%. So you can tell, okay, maybe it's a little esoteric, a little fancy or whatever. But you can figure it out. But that sort of gap, that just doesn't happen. Well, and I think you should go with yesterday's number before it became a giant news, right. a giant news story. Um, and then, the, you know, a number of people tried to correct that because it looked so bad. So it was 17% of critics thought it was good. Yeah. And um, but you could call it 100% of people. Yeah. Which is incredible. So is it is it what I think it is, that most of the critics were just, they can't approve it? Because if you don't know this, it's incredibly politically incorrect. He makes jokes about child molesters and, uh, and, and, and gay people and trans and this and that and everything. And is it just that? Critics think, oh, that that's not cool. The most common headline that I saw when discussing the Chappelle show, Sticks and Stones, was Chappelle doesn't believe Michael Jackson's accusers. Right, right. 
and and uh, and it seems to be a misunderstanding of what comedy is. Well, right. The whole point of that bit is, look at Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin says Michael Jackson never touched him, and I'll tell you what. Now that I realize, now you're going to be offended by this, but Chappelle's joke is, I'm not a pedophile, but if I was, Macaulay Culkin is really hot, is basically what he was saying. Oh, boy. Um, oh. And so if Michael Jackson didn't do that, I don't think he did it. But it's just it's just an attempt to, it's, to set up a politically it, incorrect it's joke. It's a premise for a joke. You're yeah. not doing a, a confessional of the the thoughts you hold most dear. <laughs> right. Right. But, but so the critics, even if they laughed at the time, they couldn't say it was good. Or they're actually so up their own hind ends, they they overcome their human instinct for humor with their, I can't laugh at this, this well, is not actually funny. Right, and you can convince people to believe a certain thing, and they hear it and are so horrified by sure, it, because true. they've been trained that they're supposed to be horrified by it. But if 100% of regular people, and 16,000 is a pretty good sample size, yeah. if 100% of regular people say, yeah, it was funny... What does that mean about where we are with political correctness? Yeah. What it makes me wonder. Sean regularly says we regularly say, you know, we got the five, the craziest five percent on both ends driving the conversation. We might have the craziest point five percent on both ends driving the conversation. You know, I'm looking at this uh, this piece on Daily Wire about what we're talking about, and they mentioned that the uh, comedian Hannah Gadsby who is beloved by the left and critics. Oh yeah, she scored a perfect hundred percent. With her Nanette special, the audience score, a miserable 54%. Wow. She's like interesting. interesting. Yeah, she's, she's very much the inverted Dave Chappelle. She's kind of uh, usher, not ushering in, but she is the forefront of kind of this new alt comedy where it's all about I your struggle say. and your personal... And there's there aren't traditional jokes in it. Like, it's just kind of a story that has some <laughs> funny anecdotes and Did things like that. Did you find it funny being no, fair? No. no. Okay. In terms of... A st- I thought it was interesting. I'm yeah. glad I watched to be. it. But I, it, it, it's I don't not go a, to I don't go to comedy clubs for interesting alone. Yeah, yeah. interesting <laughs> and funny is okay. Funny is okay, but only interesting is not okay. Yeah. No, that's not why I'm here. Uh, and that woke Captain Marvel movie with the feminist superhero. If you liked it, you liked it. That's fun. I'm not telling you what to like. Eighty-one percent with the critics, thirty-five percent with the audience. And D- Dave Chappelle. So who is? I don't think I'd ever watched a whole comedy special of his before. Just aside from the political incorrectness, he, he's so good. And so oh. it, it sounds like he's doing it off the top of his head, which, of course, is like the ultimate compliment, I suppose. Yeah. It sounds like you're just talking to a buddy off the top of your head. You see no structure there. But obviously, it's you know, he's he's, he's structured it like crazy, but really impressive. Um, but. If you're a normal human being, there were none of those jokes about gays, lesbians, trans, child molesters that you thought, well, he means that. He's in favor of child molestation, and he hates gay people. There's no way if you're a normal human being you'd come away from it that way. No, but if you spend all day every day looking to be offended, you'd come away that way. Sick. Sick. It's astounding. But just in terms of the... um. And then I ended up watching some Louis C.K. last night, because he ends up talking, uh, Chappelle talks about Louis C.K. But uh, they're two guys that have the ability to tell a story like something that happened to me yesterday at the sandwich shop and do a five-minute bit about it and make it seem completely natural off the top of their head and and funny, which I just admire as a skill. It just it blows my mind. I would rather watch somebody do that really well than anybody paint or play the guitar or anything. It's just it's something I've always been amazed by. It, Chappelle is nothing short of a master class at that. And when he's when he's working materials, 
he's routinely on stage for two plus hours. Yeah. Just kind of, and at some point he just ends up kind of having conversations with the audience and you see him actually riffing on stuff and you just, you see the, the gears in his brain working right. at an incredible rate. He's, he's a very unique talent. And that's where I guess, cause I, very I, unique is a stupid phrase. I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> John Mayer, the guitar player, him and Chappelle do a comedy thing together, which mm-hmm. I've never seen. But Mayer was talking about how Chappelle's at the clubs like three, four nights a week yeah. for hours at a time. So, yeah. Um, it's a finding your voice thing, I guess, with comedians that I really admire. Because I uh, was watching some old Seinfeld the other day when he was on The Tonight Show, and he sounded completely different than he does now. Yeah. So even when Seinfeld was good enough to be on The Tonight Show, which would make you among the best comedians in America, he still was not done becoming what he is now. So finding your own voice in things, whether it's writing or music or comedy or whatever, I find that fascinating when it comes to art. Um, I wish I had the guts to have ever tried it. I've never tried to do stand-up comedy. I've wanted to since I was a tiny kid. I used to watch The Tonight Show when I was seven years old and write down jokes that David Brenner was doing in his stand-up act. Um and, and do them to myself, but I never had the guts to actually walk out on a stage and try it. You still can, and you can do it practically anonymously. <laughs> the only other people there are the right. comedians who haven't gone right. off yet. Right. <laughs> right. You know, we've, we've kind of sort of done it. We'll do like an MC gig, and they ask us to do five, ten minutes, and, you know, I'll, I'll write down ideas and jokes and stuff like that. Um, you but, guys go very pen and Teller. One of you does all the talking, the other one's just kind of miming no, in the background. <laughs> Jack breathes a little fire. <laughs> the um, and you know some people like you were saying Chappelle's been doing stand up since he was a kid and yeah. all the time. And yeah, Lu- his mom literally started taking him to clubs to perform around like the age of fourteen or something like that. Louis C.K. is one of the most successful stand up comedians ever, and he went once when he was like twenty was horrified and never went back again for like three years. Yeah. Because he was so scared and horrified by the experience. So That's the way I was with sex. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? Oh, my God. (laughs) Something went wrong. Yeah. Oh, no. Is it supposed to do that? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, boy. Uh. Somebody should have told you what to expect. You know... The first time, hmm, do I want to talk about this or not, Michael? Yes, yes, you do. <laughs> do my parents listen to the podcast? That's the question. Oh, boy. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Michael. <laughs> the uh, The first time I had an, a, um, oh, I boy, I don't want to say the word orgasm. but You just did. Yeah, right there. The first time that ever happened was not... In the throes of sex. I was alone. I think that is probably a common experience for men. Oh, my God. You're kidding. (laughs) Well, if if it were during sex, it would be like the joke I made. You'd be like, ah! Get me to a hospital! I'm bleeding, kind of. Well, the first time that, that I ever, that happened, I had... You know, maybe I should have been talked to more about it or had a sex ed class or something like that, but I had no idea what was going on. And um, uh, and it happened, and it was mind-blowing to me. It was like, holy crap, what was that? And then I've uh, done it twice a day, every day since. <laughs> I, I could have explained it to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. Well, working Dave Chappelle's side of the street there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, maybe that is uh, maybe uh, maybe that is right. You should get some uh, uh, education on that, so you're not just so 
What the hell just happened? Well, how severe was were the repercussions there? Did you, were you hospitalized or did you seek counseling? <laughs> no, or? but the the build up to it was like, I what is going on? Am I having a heart attack or? But this is awesome. But I can't. This is weird. I have no none of it to happen. And it was like, oh my god, that's just stunning. I can still remember. It's like, where were you when Kennedy was shot? I mean, it's that sort of a memory. Man, you know. So similarities. Yeah. <laughs> right. Speaking of stories that probably should not be told, I had the uh, the honor of uh, bestowing the first upon at least one uh, young woman. Their first. And, uh, and, and the one memory in particular, it was like uh, panic. And then I got a look like I had burnt down her parents' house. <laughs> Like, I thought something terrible and unforgivable. I was like, I thought that's what, well, anyway, <laughs> let's talk about this. I'm sure we can get past this. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's surprising when it happens. <laughs> and awesome. Um, I haven't probably... had the guts to go back. So <laughs> take your word for it. That's probably about enough of that, Michael. I'm uncomfortable and sweating. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. What's her name? Catherine Timp, but she goes by Cat. Cat? Cat Timp. T-I-M-P-F. Uh, once you see her, you'll never forget her because she's a, a really hot, skinny little blonde chick with big black glasses, and she's hilarious. She's actually a stand-up comedian, uh-huh. and she's on Fox regularly, and she does conservative commentary and is a stand-up comedian. But she'd written this piece in the National Review about the various trigger words that they're ruling against at Michigan State University. Now, this is for real, right? This is completely 100% for okay. real, which is, is mind-blowing. Avoid using words and phrases such as but... B-U-T, as in, like, however. Uh, I apologize, no problem, and other phrases because they're triggers. We want to use calming words and phrases, not triggering words and phrases. Now, let me ask you something. You mentioned triggers. Is that you You mean you set people off? Your triggers for... Well, the example we gave earlier is you don't want to say to somebody, oh, no problem, because that suggests that they may have been a problem, and they'll feel like they could have been a problem, and will... And this is all... So you con- effing made up. I almost said an right, F-bomb, which I right. don't want to say even on the podcast. Right. Nobody actually reacts this way, but these weirdos actually <laughs> believe this <laughs> that they're telling college students, and in college students, because you're 19 and you're paying a lot of money, and everybody's been telling you your whole life is college where you go and all the smart people talk to you. So 19-year-olds are hearing this crap and thinking, well, I guess this must be true because this is what I'm being told by the smart people. Right. That if you say, no problem, that is offensive because you're suggesting they may have been a problem. Anyway, this is stuff is true. Yes, and, and yes, in the in the modern vernacular, yeah. Marshall, a trigger is is a term for a phrase that that may has the potential to upset, upset or set somebody off. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Okay, yeah. but as Cat Tim pointed out, no problem. Saying no problem is the opposite of telling somebody they might be a problem. Right. See, that's the whole point of the word no in problem. So I right. added the additional word. And and Michigan State University says replace the word but with and. Which Sean said correctly. is That's a different word. Those are different words. So you, you had the thing. Like, you could replace but with however. But, like, that's another word that <laughs> right. means something similar. But Kat Timp wrote on that part, speaking of what words means, it's completely ridiculous to say that you can replace the word but with the word and. They are totally different words. They mean totally different things. Do things sometimes come after the word but that might bum you out? Sure. For example, I love you, but I don't want to be with you anymore. 
that hurts. The thing is, though, approximately zero people would say that the word but was the part of the sentence that hurt them. (laughs) And about the same number of people would probably say that the sentence being, I love you and I don't want to be with you anymore, would make them feel any better. The only difference it would make is that it would make less sense. It's it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Anyway, um... I, I, I can't get enough of that. I'm oh. both I'm both amused and interested and horrified that right. this is a real thing. Right. Anyway, back to uh, my son's bunk bed. So I mentioned my seven-year-old Henry is renting out his uh, top bunk to his nine-year-old brother, Sam, because right. Sam has too much stuff in his room. And, and it's two bucks a week? Yeah. So uh, Sam yeah. Sam is a bit of a, uh, well, he's not a neat person. And, uh, and Henry's fairly organized and neat. And Sam's got stuff everywhere. And I don't remember whose idea it was. I don't know if Henry suggested it to him anyway, but the idea came of, Sam, I'll let you store stuff on my top bunk, but you're going to have to pay me $2 a week for that. Was there any negotiation of, of how right. much, or was it just, a, just this, this is that. the price? And, and Sam thought, oh, that's fantastic. Now, initially, Laura, right. my wife, jumped in with, you. we can't have you renting, having storage lockers that you rent out in your room. <laughs> I said, I think it's fantastic. She said, okay. So he's, he's renting out his top bunk for $2 right. a week, and then there's... A penalty if you spill any food or drink up there, that's an extra two dollars. So there's a uh now I'm assuming their income comes from allowance and chores. Yeah. 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 Uh are you willing to share what percentage of his weekly allowance is going to his rental unit? Shoot, what is it right now? I think they get I think they get a dollar a day for sweeping out the barn. Okay. So they would make seven dollars a week. Okay. Oh, that's about right. Thirty percent of your housing income is <laughs> right, supposed to exactly your first income goes for housing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, now, was there a first and last required on this? Is anything in writing? Well, no. so I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. So they're both learning something right. from this, a little entrepreneurship. I just, I want to decide. I hate to crush Henry's spirit so young, but I'd like to teach him about the real world and come in as the landlord and oh. say, for instance, as the owner of the home. Uh, I probably should be getting at least twenty five percent of that two dollars every single day. And then there's some environmental concerns. Have you had this looked at to see if there are any poisonous gases leaking out? Yeah. What sort of hazardous are any hazardous materials? Being are you paying right? any sort of insurance? He's climbing up and down this ladder. Ladders are one of the most dangerous things in the world. You need to have some insurance. If he falls and scrapes his knee, you're going to end up having to pay for that. So he's going to need insurance. This doesn't appear to me to be earthquake retrofitted. If an earthquake should hit this really wobbly Ikea, I put it together bunk bed, who knows what's going to happen. I think you should have to pay me $5 right now for earthquake insurance. For earthquake retrofitting, yes, <laughs> yes. We need to bring this up to code. Yeah. Exactly. Was, this is not. It's clearly not up to code. Was the last I know. Time you tested these sprinklers. Yeah. I put it together, so right. I know it's not up to code. So that means you just take some bigger nails and hammer them into the side of the uh, bunk bed and said, "There it is, retrofitted." Five bucks. Yeah. You know, it's funny, funny and not funny at the same time. Yeah. Is if I hit him with all the things that would actually happen to him if he was trying to start a business, he would he would just decide I don't. He'd just say screw it, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Which is what happens to a lot of people. That's what happened to me and my wife when we bought our original farm. We were going to rent it out to board horses because it had seventeen horse stalls. Right. Oh, we thought this is cool. Lots of people with horses. They want to board them. We'll charge people fifty bucks a month or whatever to keep their horse there. And and then then I found out. And the reason I mentioned earthquake 
retrofit. That's what the county told me. Well, you got to get this barn earthquake. I don't live anywhere close to where an earthquake is going to sure. likely hit, and it's completely flattened. And another run, but I had earthquake retrofitting. You have to have handicap ramps, sprinklers, That's all tough. these different things that that I didn't have, and then just quickly realized, well, I'm not going to do this. I right. can't do this. I'm right. picturing a future six to eight months from now where uh, where young 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 Sam's the entrepreneur, correct? No, Henry, Henry, Henry is the Henry, entrepreneur. Yes. Where young Henry starts showing up to dinner in suits. <laughs> right? Like, maybe it's because he's watched Boss Baby so many times. Yeah. I mean, like the little, the little kid with the, the cigar and right, the, uh, the right. suits and everything. Yeah, He'll have an assistant at some point. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what you got to do, I might pull him aside and whisper to him, you wait till Sam gets a bunch of stuff up there and then refills his room in with other crap, which he will do. So now, as happens to all of us with rental units, right? This is what you do. You move them in there. Everybody thinks they're just going to put it in there for a little while. Right. And it ends just up temporary. staying there forever. That's where the storage wars comes from. You leave it in there till you die. Right. And it's still there. <laughs> yeah. Because you fill in your garage with other crap. So now you need the rental unit. Sam's going to do that. Then I tell Henry, this is where you tell him, I've raised it a dollar. Because there's no getting out now. He's not going to bring that stuff back down off the bunk bed or find a place for it. And you're raising a dollar. He's got to pay you. Now, I, I and he, I, he may have piled more stuff up there, which would yep. also increase the rent. <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm on team wife on this one where you can have him learning about the business things, but you can't start price gouging your brother. Right. Being a slumlord. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Only renting to certain races. And I want to be like Donald Sterling. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh. Anyway, we'll see how that turns out. I'll keep you all up. Yes, let, let us know how long this goes. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty.